we're we're not officially started yet. We're just chatting. Although it is officially recording. If Dan wants to put you on. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk? Tell us about that last episode of the rehearsal. <laughs> like, uh, and like he had, he had the like the whole speech at the end was like, I mean, it kind of like in a whole like uh, what do you call it? Circular? No, like it uh, roundabout way or whatever. Uh-huh. It like it kind he he kind of said like, well, the point of life is like rehearsing it isn't really an option. It's the unpredictability of it is what makes it fun. Then he just made it weird again. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to another episode of Pajiba, the Pajiba television podcast. I'm Pajiba comedy editor Dan Hamamura. With me, as always, are Pajiba managing editor Tori Preston. Hello, Dan. Hello, Tori. Uh, special guest, uh, Pajiba TV editor, Kalina Rivera. Woo! <laughs> and uh, Dustin's here. He's, he's chosen the apt name Matt Damon Targaryen, which he did not come up with. So uh, <laughs> you're welcome, Dustin. Uh, Hello, Tori. Hello, <laughs> Kalina. <laughs> Hello, Dustin. <laughs> Yeah, what was it, Poe Dameron Targaryen? Yes, and then Dan came up with a much better. But it wasn't yes. even Poe da- You said Poe Damon. It was Poe Damon. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. They're all the same. It's weird sci-fi characters. Not all the same. Mm. Um, we have a lot as of As soon as I saw Damon Targaryen, I, it reminded me of Poe Dameron. Right. Um I wonder if we should just talk about House of, House of the Dragon now. Just Let's I mean, do it. It seems like we're doing it. <laughs> Wait, did all four of us watch it? Did you watch it, Dan? I did watch it. Oh, yeah. Kalina, I like, assume. Yep. Sure yeah. All right. Kalina's covering it for the site. Yes, I am. Well, then we should hear your thoughts first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, let me see. Short and sweet. Um, you know, I actually, I, I was into it more than I thought I would be. Um, yeah. I was after, um, I'm sure like a lot of people, uh, a little gun shy about getting back to the song of ice and fire world. But, um, but it was an engaging enough pilot that I was like, oh, I'm definitely, I, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what happens next week because I'm now officially like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm curious how this is going to work out because I see this. I see several things going horribly wrong with these people, and I'm curious how it is going to go down. So, um, several things, folks. just or not, or not just Matt Smith going horribly wrong. <laughs> not just Matt Smith. I actually found him. Um, I, I I found him rather entertaining. No, I love, uh, definitely, I love him. Yeah, but him basically, I, I feel like uh, Matt Smith, um, obviously as his character uh, Damon, not the actual gentleman. Uh, him going off into that uh, that sunset on that giant uh, was Sycorax was that his dragon's name um, something like that something yeah Sycorax um, I, I was like if you were smart my 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 lovely Petty Constantine you you would kill him immediately um, because <laughs> I I just and I'm speaking as someone who I did not read I tried to read. Um, 
the source material. Um, George R. R. Martin's, uh, it's not House of Dragons. He calls it Fire. Song of Ice and Fire? S- no, yeah, no, that's but the, the actual, series, but like oh, this is what there was I a book know. that he put out that was all like the back history or something like that. Oh. Of the Targaryens, that this but is what, what the is show it an actual book or is it like the child, cursed child prequel thing where it's just like sort of an outline or whatever? It is. I haven't. I I haven't read that to make the comparison, but I will say it's more. It reads more like a history book as opposed oh. to it's not like uh, it's, it's not a novel. Right. It's not yeah. in a novel form, which is why I had a hard time actually really sitting in it. it. It's it's to me, it's rather dry, although I know there's plenty of people who have read it and I'm sure we'll um, will chime in um, as far as providing uh, context. But that is to say, I haven't read that. So I, I I'm, there's no spoilers. I don't know if if Damon Targaryen is going to be a huge. Pro- I just feel like in my bones, he is going to be a huge damn problem. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you don't hire Matt Smith. Right. Like, I mean, his whole post-Doctor career has been basically, like, pop in as as the bad guy in things. So, I mean, I guess other than The Crown. <laughs> I guess he wasn't really the bad guy in that. But, you know, I, I accept that they're all bad. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I like... He's a very instant kind of compelling choice. And yeah, you don't have to like our, I feel like my prediction on it isn't just that the story is very clearly setting it up, but it's also like he, he just the look on his face, you can tell he's like just ready to chew things up. (laughs) So I I don't know. Um, I'm looking forward to that. I don't know what else could go wrong. Do we expect the universe to expand? I mean, there's probably many more characters than the ones we were introduced to. Or not? Is this just House Targaryen and these people? And have we met the cast? No, I don't think so. No, I think we are going to meet a lot more people. I do think, however, they will all be names we recognize from yeah. from Game of Thrones. So this a little is, bit of that Star Wars syndrome. I feel. Yeah, like they're so right now. Like it kind of at the end. It's I think that's why they're bringing in Song of Ice and Fire. Like oh, like our job as Targaryens is to unite the realm. Um, because Patty thinks that the White Walkers, like this, this threat of a long winter is like around the corner. So I think that uh, Rhaenyra is, is going to set out, like it's, it's part of it's to legitimize her claim to the throne, like to get people to buy into hers as a queen, which is hard, but it's also like that it's making the challenge even steeper for her to keep the realm united in face of a threat that they have no idea is going to be like 200 years away. Um, so I think that, yeah, they're going to go around and it's going to be all the same families. It's, you know, we already saw them, Baratheon, Starks, uh, you, you right. see the, the mysterious soldier who's from Dorne. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's going to be returning to a lot of the places that we're familiar with. I don't know if it's suddenly going to jet off to other continents. Um, I, that's always the question, I guess. Well, the opening episode felt a little like just like a house tutor with dragons. Yeah. You just got the, you know, the regular, having just watched Becoming Elizabeth, I feel like, oh, this is familiar. Yeah. Well, I think it's also interesting because that was the one thing we never, we got a lot of the other families, but, you know, Game of Thrones, there was only really two Targaryens in the beginning and then mm-hmm. Viserys died, thankfully. Um, so, so it is, it's like, we never got to see the Targaryen family in their prime. So I think that's, that was really the, the, 
the opening episode trying to show you what they were like when they were in control. Um, but I do think the episode to me, what it was missing was the, and like, again, you know, we all know where game of Thrones kind of like barreled off the tracks eventually. But in the beginning, what made it compelling was that the first scene, like, you know, it was revealing the white walkers before you even knew any of the characters. So you had this, like this inherent tension of like the audience knows like what's, how real the danger and how big the danger is. And then you keep getting sidetracked with the characters into all this politics stuff. And there's a bit of a frustration there because it's like their, their eye, they don't even know what's coming. And that sustained the show for seasons Yeah, before people finally like there were enough encounters and, you know, John gets Danny and people finally start taking the threat seriously. You have seasons upon seasons where it's just the audience knowing the bigger picture and and the characters in the show not and i don't know if there's anything that compelling in this like i don't know that there is a bigger picture beyond strictly the politics the, beyond the politics and i wonder <laughs> if a game of if game of thrones needs that or if i mean the fact that in the original show like you know, the Night King was dispensed in a single episode and it still was ultimately all about the politics. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was never so, that interested in the White Walkers. It was the politics that well, was interesting to begin with. Well, and it's also interesting because the the thing that is hanging over this show right now is that regardless of how you feel about the the way the series ended, it's the fact that all that stuff is happening 150 years from now or whenever it is. So it's yeah. like, okay, so we know all that history is going to happen so what makes this it, it's the same question that every prequel, prequel has to answer which is like what makes this relevant enough to interesting enough to watch right um, because, or alternately is 172 years far enough distant mm-hmm. that this chapter can be isolated from right. our knowledge of what comes and the fact right. that they're bringing in song of ice and fire means that like no you're supposed to draw the connection mm-hmm. we're not supposed to be able to like really you know, because the idea is too with prequels. If you go far enough back, you're essentially like nothing should impact. Like right. you know, there shouldn't be, but here there are obvious connections. So I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. I don't know. <clears throat> Walter White and Jesse Pinkman show up. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin, are you trying to transition us to Better Call Saul? Sort of, but not really, just the prequel, the whole idea of the prequel, standing on its own, right. made sense in that context. Right. That's uh, true. I mean, so but, but Better Call Saul was tonally very different, right? I mean, I don't know. I haven't actually seen it. You guys are the experts on that. But, like, are there lessons? It was meant to be tonally different, but it ended up being not that different tonally. It was, I think yeah. the, the original intention was to be a, more of a comedy, but it was not a comedy. <laughs> yes, right. It, it definitely um, evolved um, as far as the the balance. The that kind of uh, there was a little more lightness at the uh, you know at the definitely that first season. It was more light with like uh, some dramatic tones sifted through there, and then obviously as it reached um, you know the the zenith that was run and onward, it. It definitely went full blow. I think, and I think appropriately so. It kind of tracked the the journey of our um, sort of kind of protagonist, Jimmy McGee. I think 
It, uh, yeah, I think Saul feels more purely character driven, and uh, especially looking back on it now, Breaking Bad feels a little more toxic in a weird way. Yeah, Breaking Bad and does not hold up well po- post Saul. I don't think it doesn't hold up really. Well. I mean, it's still a great show, but I don't think it's nearly the show that Saul is, and I don't think anybody that's seen both shows would think that Breaking Bad is better anymore. But it's also interesting because it feel it seems like Vince Gilligan or whatever, like he kind of thinks the same thing. Like I was seeing some interviews where he's talking about like how with time and distance, like he even views Walter White and 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 the different characters differently. Like Skylar, the reaction to Skylar and um, yeah. you yeah. know, stuff like that. Um you know, kind of kind of looking at the fact that, you know, Walter White, again, it's like he had, he, there was an out and, but his ego wouldn't let him take it. And so like all this, it's not just that he like stayed true to himself. It's the idea that like he caused so much destruction and like how you view his character is like how much weight you put on those two things. And like, well, I think Walter White, we rooted for at the time, but if that character now came along now, we would never right. root for that character. No. And yeah, it, Gilligan's yeah he's been very vociferous about how I mean he was definitely from you know from jump he was like Walter White's not a good guy right yeah (laughs) you should not just uncritically defend him um and then and obviously with the um with the reception of uh Skylar White and especially poor Anna Gunn um who's too goddamn talented and wonderful to even if she wasn't um should not deal with uh tenth of what she got as far as from toxic individuals um with internet access but uh but he's but it's interesting hearing gilligan and gould actually talk about like how like no we've we've gotten better as filmmakers since Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is just your your natural progression as far as being a creative who's working consistently like like you should look back on your work from a decade and go go, ago and and say wow, I would do things differently now. Yeah. But, um, so that's, it's, and that's one of the things I actually really enjoy about, uh, both Gilligan and Gould is how, um, how, how much insight they allow into their process and their art. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with, for, I think they're very appreciative of the fans and their immense, um, how much they engage with the material. And so there's like this, this goodwill for them to, kind of uh, be very frank about both their approach to their art as well as their perception of their old art versus their new. Yeah. And even like late seasons of Saul are much better than like the first season, the first or maybe second season. The first season's amazing, but I I don't think that they knew exactly where they were going at the time. They were sort of scrambling to figure out what the show was going to be. And then they sort of locked into you know, this transformation for Jimmy McGill. Yeah. And also decided not to make a show about Saul Goodman and to make it about Jimmy McGill. Yeah. Yeah. There's always a sense of like, oh, I guess kind of that parallel Breaking Bad and that we are seeing a man metamorphosize into something else over time and, and you know, and it being a character study, but I think, yeah, but yeah, they definitely were, 
Like it wasn't all the details aren't planned. They really don't. It's like they sit down for a season like, okay, we're going to write, we're going to write this out and we're going to figure it out. And I think that's, that's somewhat keeps it quite fresh is that, you know, oh, we don't have the exact, we know the direction we want to go in, but we don't have that exact ending built out because otherwise, how are we going to be surprised as well as, you know, as writers? And also they literally spend six months in the writer's room before they even shoot a single scene. Which is incredible. Yes. <laughs> it's absolutely, um, that's a marathon as far as for uh, show writers from what I understand. But Must be just, nice. You... <laughs> <laughs> Which I, for no, I say for no reason whatsoever. No, none, none at all. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, so that's and I feel like and that's kind of how we ended up with this. Um, I guess it's appropriate to talk about now the that spectacular that spectacular finale. Um, that was, was it perfect, Kalina, or was it perfect? I think, I think if we were talking endings, I I felt like it was perfect. I for me it was. It, I found it to be strangely optimistic and and deeply romantic and not in the the flowers and dinners kind of way I found it romantic like as far as this kind of almost twisted modernized chivalric kind of of just declaration but not only that but it's not it, it's not only based on you know silly that like heteronormative kind of love it's it's also just i want to live i'm tired and i just kind of want to live in truth yeah yeah and 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 that's what that's what got me the most about it that's what left me and there were tears shed <laughs> No shame. No shame in that. It was, it was, it was, um, yeah, it was, um, unexpected and yet, um, made complete and total sense. And Kleena had a line in her recap that I loved. You guys continue talking and I would just find that. I think we should just listen to you type. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah it was, um... oh, did you get it? Just chime in if you find it. No, it was just—I think it was just about him. Um, wait, where's? Damn it! <laughs> dead air. No, no dead air. Um, no, I was going to say, and I know that that for some, I know some people maybe are don't feel the same way as far as the. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people. Oh, especially Breaking Bad fans were kind of expecting like like for Saul to like build a machine gun that will take out a, a room it full was, of yeah. white supremacists you know yeah. meth dealers da 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 and like that was it, and I, I find it to be it, like peop, a lot of folks were kind of like expecting a big bang out of it which I, I don't quite understand because the text has never really supported that. With a few exceptions, there has been some action stuff. There has been a few dramatic deaths. I feel like once we were at, you know, once we had those two big deaths um, in season six, that was, I'm like, that. okay, that's it. Like, we're not going to see any more dramatic, like, we've built our blood quota 
yeah. or, you know, the, what is this, Game of Thrones? <laughs> yeah, no, we're not going to kill everybody. It seemed like, especially because Saul himself, even at his grimiest, has never been predisposed to violence. That's just not his, that's not his, his, you know, that's, I think it's one of the things I've said before is like, that's not a tool in his con man toolbox. Yeah. Is to, he doesn't wield violence and any he would he would do anything to avoid a fight. Um unless it's trying to fight Howard Hamlin. Um embarrassing <laughs> in a boxing ring. <laughs> but he yeah, he's not going to he's not going to try which is why it was so chilling in the penultimate episode where he walks up to um, Marion, our beloved Carol Burnett, twisting that telephone yeah, yeah. that that uh but cable around his hands and you're like, my God, he's actually thinking about, he's on the verge of killing her. And it's, it's, it's a horrific moment because you're like, this person doesn't do that. He lies and schemes. He, he, whatever, whatever, but he's never like harmed a person and especially not an innocent person and especially not an elderly person. (laughs) For, you know, for anyone who saw, you know, fans of earlier seasons, like it's that was his that was his demographic. Right. Mm-hmm. Those were his people. He he, <laughs> has, he has a beautiful way with the elderly. And there's a reason. And it's not just because he's like just because he's Carnot or smooth talk or whatever. He genuinely feels a lot of affection. Um, you know, that's a soft spot is, is, is senior citizens. So, yeah, when that happened, just it was just. It was an absolutely chilling, chilling moment. So, um, yeah, though, the finale of Better Call Saul was never going to be him going out guns blazing. Yeah. Well, I, I think you summed up the show in your finale well. That it's basically six seasons of watching Jimmy McGill turn into Saul. And then there's four seasons of Saul turning into Gene. And then that last episode is all about him reclaiming jimmy mcgill so it was sort of a reverse it was it's incredibly well done and i don't know if they I, I don't think they anticipated doing that from the beginning but the way they just made it happen oh so good it was yeah no it's it's stupendous and it's so interesting because that whole um that reclamation of jimmy mcgill i loved how they did that you know because you it's it, you have this big courtroom scene but yet um you know, and where he's, it's it's kind of dramatic, and he's kind of he's admitting, you know, in kind of a faux, prideful manner. I think in a way to really, you know, get the judges and those prosecutors drooling. You know, he's like, yeah, I was a I was a major part of Walter White's empire. You know, I did this. Did I kill anybody? No, but I knew about it. And and Ray Ray Ray, and it's this, and it's this really just humongous monologue that he has. And then, and then it's at the end there where, um, you know, the judge is finally like, okay, you sit, sit down. We, we all need to hash this out and, you know, and it's just like, sit down, Mr. Goodman. And then it's almost a throwaway line where Owen Kirk's just like, he just looks up and he's like, it's, it's Jimmy Bigel. And then he just sits back down and it's, and it's, so it's treated very lightly, but it's actually, but it's a huge moment in not only the episode, but in the entire series as well. Like, oh, my God. He starts, he starts this 
closing speech as Saul and ends the speech back as Jim and Miguel. That's so beautiful. It really is. Oh gosh, yeah. I can't I can't say enough good things it's about It's a hell of a journey. Just a spectacular journey, and I honestly I'm still trying to process like it it's felt and I don't want to sound like I'm overstating it, but it, there's kind of there's something about having this show where you know it's been this almost like this event in my life, like <laughs> annually for years, with the exception of when everybody was on obviously on pause for COVID. Um so, like, for it to be over, I'm just, like, I'm bereft. <laughs> like, oh, and it's me? been so good for so long that I think until this final season, people had just sort of taken it for granted. It was just, you know, a phenomenal show mm-hmm. that gets nominated for things but then never wins because no, that, I mean, I mean, it's, it's like The Wire. This is going to be their year. Yeah, sure, I feel like mm-hmm. I, I think there's. I think Ray will win, but I don't think anybody else will because something else will come along. And oh, I think Ray will definitely win. You don't think Odenkirk would win? That's you know, it's always the like hardest category. Yeah. And you know, Matt Smith or Patty Considine will probably be up for it and be flashier. I don't know. I refuse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think, but I'm definitely with you on, I think Ray's really finally going to get that. Um. Well, it's also interesting because they, they showed the first half before this year, so they're actually up again next year's Emmys for the back half. Mm. So Ray could win the next two, theoretically. I think that she might win this one in September and then, by the next September, everyone will have forgotten about it because it had been a year since mm-hmm. uh, Saul came out. And that's what they did with Breaking Bad, too. And I think, I don't think that final season did particularly well because I think by the time the Emmys came around, it had been a year and people had sort of forgotten about it. Yeah. And I'm sure Game of Thrones was ongoing. Mm. I suppose. So they just need to have Skylar and Ray and 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 Kim have do a buddy comedy now. That's the next iteration of the uh, Breaking Bad universe. <laughs> um, well, while we're on the topic of last episodes, can somebody <clears throat> please explain the rehearsal to me, <laughs> Dan? Uh... What happened? <laughs> what is this? Okay, so. Was it as perfect as Better Call Saul? No. <laughs> well, I, I haven't. Uh, so I stopped watching and will end up. I'll, I'll finish it. But I, I actually stopped watching Better Call Saul somewhere in season four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Because you took it, it for granted. I did. Uh, I, I was, it, it wasn't for any reason. It was one of those where I just got busy and then kind of stopped watching. And I just went back to try to find where my place was. Cause I, I know I got through all of season three cause I remember the ending of season three, but there were things there that I was like, Oh, I think I've seen past this, but I don't know where. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to restart at season four. Um, That's fair. But, uh, so anyway, but, uh, the rehearsal, I have seen every episode. Uh, well, there are only six, Dan. Recent, right, well, yeah, but you know, recently renewed, renewed for a, a second season, so there will be at least six more. Dustin, probably. Uh, it's well, it's weird because I feel like without I've tried to avoid 
uh, I didn't get to see it until today. So I, I've tried to avoid like the limited. I feel like it's it. There's like discourse around it, but it's not like it's not like everybody's watching it. It's just kind of like TV critic. I feel like whatever discourse is out there is just people pulling shit out of their ass because I don't think there's any way to like really truly dissect the show. Well, it seemed like, but it seemed like a lot of people were not thrilled with the finale. Well, I wasn't Um, thrilled with the finale either. Because of it's there's a the the way that the experiment plays out, it becomes. I mean, over the course of the season, it's become much more about him, which is fine. I mean, that's kind of. It turns out that's what the premise was of the show, even though at the beginning the premise felt like it was going to be him. Like it felt like it was going to be him doing weird stuff to other people and like affecting their lives. But then it ended up being like he's doing weird stuff to other people to affect his life, which is then in turn affecting their lives. Um, and I'm assuming the thing. No, wait, 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 wait. Yes. Okay. In the beginning, I yes. thought peep, there would be like, there was like somebody and there was a life event and mm-hmm. he would help them rehearse for it. That yes. was the super beginning. That's that the first episode. Beginning. Yes. Okay. Then he and adopted so then a family. Su- well, it not, not, it doesn't get there that right away. Like the, the second, the second episode feels like it's going to be about like, okay, here's the next like the next challenge yeah he'll right. help them with their life events so right. that does not continue well what ends up happening is that the through circumstance of the way it plays out he inserts himself into the scenario as himself rather than as like like he's not an actor he's like he's, he's not like, oh, like helping this person rehearse he just sort of well he is but he's also working out his own shit while oh. it, and so it becomes much more about him working out his own shit, uh, like rehearsing himself to become a father by parenting these this these actors that go from ages zero to eighteen, and they like uh, over the course of a, a couple of days or weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was like originally somebody like a there was a woman who wanted a, a family. Yes. A so he's helping f- fulfill her thing, but he inserts himself as the partner. Right. Because she couldn't find uh, a person <laughs> to There was one play. guy who they, they tried to cast and then he left very quickly. Because he couldn't deal with it. Also, he was Looney Tunes. He okay. also crashed uh, his, uh, <laughs> his uh, not Prius, what's it? Uh, his uh, uh, Ford Tesla? Silo no, his Scion. No. His Scion TV, Scion. Uh, 100 miles an hour. <laughs> Yeah, it was very specific. Um, So he inserted himself. He tried to be a father uh, to these characters, like these kids. Yeah. And at some point along the way, uh, one of these kids who didn't have a father of his own gets really attached to Nathan Mm -hmm. and then treats him like he starts calling him daddy and then uh, Nathan tries to like say, uh, you know, I'm not your daddy. I'm just playing pretend. And this kid really didn't like that because this kid who was six and didn't really understand pretend and acting and didn't have a father of his own felt really attached to Nathan as a father. Right. Right. And then it got really awkward. (laughs) Well, that's the part where it's like it became. I'm assuming that's the part that everybody hated because it's like it feels like he's doing permanent damage to his child. 
Uh, well, I I mean I know how kids the kids are resilient. They'll forget it. He'll the kid will forget about it in a week. Yeah, but, right. Like what kid remembers what they were thinking when right. they were six? But it but was it still that's felt. the part. Yeah. Yeah. But that's also the part where I felt like like people who have kids will react to it very differently than people who don't have kids, uh, like this guy. Because I because it was it was definitely awkward, but I wasn't like. I wasn't like, oh, this has gone too far. Like it felt like, oh, this is a weird consequence of this that maybe they should have seen coming, but um, I don't but, know. So here's where. I, but do you think that you think that way because you don't have kids, or do you think you think that way because you also work in television and are familiar with like no, actors? Because there's a part I, of it, like, and when you're casting a kid, right? Well, I like, think I think that, that way because I don't have kids. Because okay. because that's juxtaposed with some of the other kid actors. I mean, who are older, so they're also you know yeah. more themselves. Like the kid who plays his kid at nine is like like a consummate pro. Yeah. Where like at yes. one point Nathan breaks character <laughs> and is like like in in a very awkward Nathan Fielder way. He's like, you know, I'm not your dad, right? We're just we're just pretending. He's like, yeah, yeah, this is a job, and he's like, <laughs> yeah. he's like am I believable as a dad? And the kid says the, like my favorite line, maybe in the whole thing where he's like, you're yeah, a really yeah. good scene partner. <laughs> and it's like, Oh my God, this child. Cold. Is like so, he's such a good actor. Um, but, 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 it's so but that, this is where it gets confusing about, you know, are these actors or are these real people? Did yeah. the six year old, was he really an actor pretending that he got attached to Nathan Fielder right. or did he really get attached to Nathan Fielder? And are we right? ever going to know? Is that the mm. whole point of the show that like you, you do not know how artificial it is. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think we'll ever know. It, yeah. it, it felt like it finally, like because it became so much about himself and there are points where he has, there's an, I mean, they've set this up over multiple episodes, but there's an, when he has to rehearse a thing himself that, or he wants to experience the scenario through someone else's eyes, then he has someone who plays him and he plays someone else. So they did this more than once. So it's, it's not like, so there's a guy who is playing Nathan uh, while Nathan is pretending he's someone else. Um, they have other actors who are playing other people who you've met on the show. And they're always like amazing. Like, especially the, the actress who plays, who is like the stand in for the woman who was throughout a lot of the, the mom or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like the the actress playing her is so good at playing her, like it's kind of scary, and you're like, oh my god, this is amazing. Um, like it's terrifying because it really seems like you figured out her character. Um, yeah. And um, and and on top of that, there's also like a, there's there's like a uh, uh, sorry, I, I feel like I just lost my train. Of that. Uh, there there's just I don't know. It's it it felt like. Uh, the movie Synecdoche, New York, a little bit, which is a was a Philip. Wait, what's his name? Um, who's the one? Philip Seymour Hoffman. No, well, yeah, he's the lead, but who's the no the guy who Charlie Kaufman? Char, it's a Charlie Kaufman movie, which like absolutely makes no sense, and it's like you're watching and you're like, this is either profound or insane, and I kind of <laughs> feel like that with this show, where I don't know if it's profound or insane. And it might be both, or it might be neither. But yeah. Um, but I don't know. But then he gets to the end, and it's and it's really he has what at least through the artifice of the show, which he has now constructed to make 
about his own life and his own problems, he seems to have a genuine breakthrough, which again, it's like, is that a real breakthrough for him? Or is it, is he just performing it? Or is he just like, it turns out a really good actor that like he can pull this off when 99% of the time, it seems like there's no way he could, he could do pull off that kind of performance. So what is the breakthrough? Does he decide like, so he, he, (laughs) at the very end, he decides like, he's trying to figure out basically how, how to not damage this kid. So he runs the scenario of how he damaged the kid over and over with, uh, with like a with a, a fake kid or like with a kid who's played by an adult, which now looks insane. Uh, and then he, he but he ends up running through it where he decides to play through it as the kid's mom. And he casts a nine year old who's like a genius actor oh God. to play the six year old. Uh, and so he's playing the mom, the mom of the kid who he th- who he's where he traumatized. And then like as they go through it and as he goes through like parenting this child through the trauma of going through this show experience with Nathan Fielder, now played by the fake Nathan Fielder, uh, <laughs> he, he eventually comes to this thing where he has, like, this really emotional breakthrough, which is the thing about, like, the fact that you can't rehearse all of life and some of life is really, you know, about right. just experiencing it and, blah, blah, and all of that. And, um, and it turns on this point where he says, instead of saying, like, it's okay, I'm here for you, I'm your mom, he says, I'm your dad. And it's, like, the first time it feels like it's the first time it feels like Nathan Fielder is feeling a genuine emotion, which is like part of the problem he's been dealing with the entire show and probably his entire life. Uh, right. But it's so it so again, it's just like it feels like a real breakthrough for him. But also, is that performance? Is it real? Does it matter? Um, I don't yeah. Know. But but there's going to be. And we've ruined a lot of it, and also it doesn't matter because you can still watch it. And right. I, I'm sure you'll still yeah. be and confused I feel like and or cringing. Having it. not watched it, all of this sounds like gobbledygook. <laughs> oh, it's it's. I feel like Alice in Looking Glass. Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, it, like, cause it, it reminds me of some other projects I can think of, but what I I like, and I, I guess that's you know. I guess my remove from it because like, I don't know, like I, I'm not having not seen it. Like I don't know the actual emotional weight that all of these scenes carry, but what is apparent is that like how artificial it could be, or does it matter? Like that question I think is, is awesome. Like that is what I find compelling about it. And I think that, you know, if that, but I guess where I'm curious is like that alone would be reason enough for the show to make people ask those questions. But does it feel like those are the questions you're supposed to be asking as a viewer or does it, does the show sort of assume you have bought in on the premise? I think you ask those same questions, even with Nathan Fielder's other shows, like, is Mm. this, is this who Nathan Fielder really is or is he playing a character? How much right. of this is real? And uh, yeah, it's just sort of. That is the, that is his whole yes. thing. Yeah. So right. in, uh, in Nathan for you, I mean, I feel like it's more concrete because like he is obviously setting up these situations, but in the rehearsal, the lines aren't just blurred. They're like non-existent. Yeah. So, but do you think that they're non-existent because 
because like I like in Nathan for you, he's very much playing a, a particular role going into these scenarios. In this one, like he's is it because he's he's more playing himself seemingly as he takes on these problems of other people and then slowly makes it about himself. Like, do you, does the Nathan, does Nathan Fielder feel more con like more real in one show versus the other? Like as a, as a person, not a role. Yes. And is I, it I would this say one? so. Yeah. yeah. The rehearsal yeah. definitely. Yeah. He's more playing like a role as a host kind of in Nathan. Yeah. Freedom. Although, I mean, we can't know for we can't right. know for sure. Yeah, like that is. until the end of his career, and he reveals it all. But like, if it turned out that he's like, like, okay, so I'm not saying like this would never happen because I feel like we would have heard if it if it had. Like, he just seems like a genuinely awkward guy. But just mm-hmm. imagine for a second, what if he actually was like the Canadian Colin Jost? Like, what if he actually was, like, fairly charismatic and, like, totally got along with people and was, like, kind of bougie? <laughs> Maybe. I but I mean, but, and then pretended to be awkward Wasn't and weird. I don't remember it that well, but didn't in the final episode of Nathan, for you, wasn't that one of the, another one of those episodes where you found, like, a real human connection? Yes. And that was the whole Yeah, thing. Finding Francis. Yeah. That was, I mean, that the the relationship with Nathan Fielder's character and Nathan Fielder himself is very similar in Finding Francis to in the rehearsal. Right. Well, the rehearsal is like a season-long version of that episode in some ways, right? Like it's not like yeah, like there was a segment in that episode in which they actually do like a rehearsal. Yeah. I forgot about that. I have to go back and watch it. I did too. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So they, so yeah, because it was like that, that happens. So he gets this idea, spins it off into this whole show. He's had a seemingly scripted or scripted or unscripted, some sort of breakthrough. So now the show is going to be renewed. I guess what I would be curious about is if going into the second season, they continue with the premise that it's like starting out rehearsing other people's life events, or does he go all in and just rehearse his own life events, like truly take it over? I think in the second season we find out that he's actually John Wilson. <laughs> he's been an actor playing Nathan Fielder the whole time, uh-huh. and there is exactly. another person, but it's Jay Burchell <laughs> or whatever his name is. Like, right. he's the real exactly. Nathan Fielder. <laughs> yes. It's like wearing a skin mask. Or Nathan Fillion. They're both Canadian. That's right. That he's just been amazing. other Nathans throughout history. Other Nathan, yeah. <laughs> Nathan's hot dogs. <laughs> I feel like that show would be a good retrospective on like child acting if it wasn't like actually genuinely real. <laughs> oh, yeah. In ten years, see where that six, that six year old is. Oh man! <laughs> if Nathan Fielder is still doing this in ten years, I'm he, sure he'll he'll do, <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be awkward. But yeah, I have no idea where season two will go. I I assume he probably doesn't know. No. no um, they're just like, he'll... this did really well for us, so uh, we're going to throw you some more money. So mm-hmm. yeah. figure out something. We're going to let you build more random sets on a soundstage that just look like real buildings. Um, 
Oh my gosh. Who's that well, mysterious uh, fifth guest? Oh yeah, that was that was my son Declan, uh, who did not watch She Hulk last week. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. Everybody else in the family watched it, but he left. Does he Didn't hate like women? Much. Yeah, I think he must. <laughs> Did everyone here watch you? I should hope so, Dan. I I watched it. Okay. I finished it six oh two today. <laughs> uh, it is so a show. It is a show. Much like, much like House of the Dragons, it exists. Tatiana Maslany is wonderful. Yes. Uh, Ginger Gonzaga, she's always good. Um, this she didn't, didn't feel like... Yet, but... It just feels like they're... I mean, I don't know. It was just the origin. So, okay, cool. We watched yeah. her... Well, yeah, it felt like an origin episode setting it up, right. but I just... I loved the tone and I loved the character. Yeah. I'm no, very I'm, curious because so many re- reviewers who, you know, like have connections with Disney and get screeners uh, got like four episodes of, and I think it's like a nine episode season. So they've gotten, they've already seen like almost half of the show and the ones who saw it seem to enjoy it. So I, I, I'm assuming the the tone and everything carries through. Right. But yeah, I mean, it was a little tough because it was just an origin episode. Which was like a, you know, good and bad. It was like, you know, I'm, I'm happy to know that the origin was contained to this one episode and it's not an entire season of setting up how this character got her powers and all this stuff. Like, it's mm-hmm. nice to kind of have it all done away with in a, in a uh, flashback. But it's, yeah, this, this one episode wasn't enough for me to really have any, any idea what the season, what the show is about. Right. What, like... Mm-hmm. What is it? <laughs> and like, I've read a lot of the comics and stuff, so I have an idea, but you know, it's, I, I felt like it was kind of hard to talk about. I think a lot of people who are writing about it who had seen more episodes kind of could speak with more surety. Whereas, like, if you're only basing it on that premiere episode, it was like, yeah, I mean, it was enjoyable, but I really would rather wait and see what next week has to bring because that's the real show. They seem to suggest it was more of a legal show than a superhero show, which is I'm excited about. I think they suggested that. Yeah, but I think it's going to be a comic because I think it's going to be like, I mean, I don't know, but I have a feeling she's going to end up working on superhero cases. Like she'll be the lawyer uh, because it's like she just revealed her powers in the middle of a courtroom. Like Mm -hmm. Daredevil never did that. Daredevil could have a lawyer being his secret identity. Like She-Hulk, now everyone knows that Jessica Walters is a Hulk. So how so do you, she, con- how do she you can defend superheroes? Right. Or prosecute supervillains or whatever. Like she oh, can. Oh, that's fun. So I think that's, <clears throat> yeah. Or, and then provide legal advice to, you is, know, is Daredevil going to be in this? Did we hear that? Is yeah. that something? Yeah. Okay. Charlie Cox is going to be in it. Um, and so will Abomination Tim Roth. Oh, okay. From Where one of the we... Hulk movies. Oh. Yeah. Which he also popped up uh, in, I want to say, Shang-Chi. <clears throat> like, there's a scene where they go and there's, like, a fight. And I think Wong is there, but it's, like, you're seeing, like, a cage battle. And one, and it's, like, Abomination is one of the two things fighting in the cage. Oh. It's like a throwaway scene, but like they've established him 
kind of popping up in things. Yeah. So, um, I mean, yeah, I, I think what I'm kind of interested in is, is this being, I think, you know, I, I, I do think it's going to be much more of a legal show, but if it's a real straight legal comedy, like if they're kind of treating it not as a drama, but like as an actual kind of legal sitcom in some ways, um, if Marvel can actually keep that tone, if they try to use her in movies, because I think, you know, we kind of talk about uh, like, because I know Mark Ruffalo has gone around and been like, Oh no, if there's Avengers, like she'll be the Hulk in it. Like, you know, there's this kind of assumption that like these characters are being set up in the shows will be promoted into the films or, you know, in like a, a serious way phases down the line. That's fine. But we haven't really, as much as like, you know, maybe there's some like Guardians of the Galaxy is maybe more funny or whatever than, you know, a Captain America movie or whatever. Like a lot of Marvel stuff is kind of same. You can kind of, you can combine these characters and it doesn't feel that crazy. If you have a show that's a genuine sitcom, like is a genuine comedy, throwing that character into an Avengers movie or something like how do you balance that tone? Mm -hmm. Right. I feel like it's, you know, it would be different than just like, Oh, okay. Thor's hanging out with rock, you know, rocket now and Groot. Like that's fine. Um, what is Jamila's character? She's not in the, in the legal profession. Is she, what what, what is is that villain? I think she's like, she's just a villain. Like I don't, and that's where I'm like, I, I'm glad they got gave you a shot of her, but I, I have no idea what is going on here. I was I was bewildered. Yeah, it was a real strange appearance. <laughs> I like I was I'm you know I'm watching and I'm like okay you know I'm like this is it's and I don't know as far as the tone as far as what you were just speaking on I. I don't know how I feel about it yet, just because it is like clearly sitcommy yeah. sort of, and whereas so that's very different for me. I, I confess, though, part this is partially personal taste because I am more geared towards drama. Yeah. So uh, this is a, a different shift for me. But especially when she the first time she breaks the fourth wall, I was like, "Whoa, yeah. <laughs> she's talking." To me. Um, but but I was like okay but I'm I'm here just boom boom she Hulk powers yeah uh, yada yada and then she's like okay and then she's got her moment and all of a sudden you know and especially because like our our kind of actiony moment was like her and Bruce kind of tussling a yeah. little bit um, and then she's in court and all of a sudden like. Here's Tahani with a terrible damn wig. Um, yeah, and she's and there's no, there's no like, there's no like name. Be like I'm blah blah blah, or or there's there's no there's no reasoning behind it. It's just boom, I'm through a wall. We're gonna throw, you know, stuff at each other, and and you know, someone threw a chair. I'm mad. Um, and yeah. then, and then the credits rolled, and I was like, yeah. "What the would you read?" I was, and I was absolutely dumbfounded, and only recovered just long enough to catch that um, rather saucy mid-credits. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I was like, my goodness. Well, maybe she'll end up being like a client or someone she tries to prosecute. Yeah. So she's clearly going to be a bigger part in it. So her character is Titania, which is another character from the comic. She's just kind of a villain. I don't really. uh, And also the fourth wall breaking, I think, was in or at least in some iterations of the comics was kind of a thing. Um, Okay. So that. Uh, and I remember reading some interviews with the with Jessica Gao, who's the creator, saying where it was like trying to strike the right balance. Like at first, she did way too she had way too much of the fourth wall breaking in, <laughs> and it was Marvel kind of be like, "Yeah, you need to do a lot less of that." Like that's so I'm glad they toned it down and just had a couple of moments of like she's talking to the camera, but I think that was kind of a balance of. Uh, Partially comic inspired, but also partially taking a little bit too many cues from Fleabag. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's a real, you have to be really, it's something you can do, but you really need to be doing it with a purpose. And I think, and again, I'm just, I don't know where this show is going. Um, I, this is one where I wish they had given two episodes. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like it would have been nice in the opening week to see what, what the payoff of the Titania breaking into the court was. Um, Cause it is, it's hard when you have a, a, a premiere episode where it's very much like, no, 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 we're not, we're not a Hulk show. We're a law show, but the majority of the runtime is a Hulk fight. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Tell me, like, give me a reason to, to believe you're a law show. And I do think they'll get there, right. but yeah, like it would have been nice to have just, just give us two episodes, Disney, like the hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is, and this kind of goes into a kind of a growing generalized critique. I, I, I have when it comes to, I feel like a lot of, um, not to get too soapboxy here, but I feel like in this kind of pursuits of like, great content and, um, you know, and, and developing shows and things like that. One of the things that has kind of emerged that irks me a bit is there's, it's like this, this need to, okay, we're going to start, here's our pilot and we're going to go, we're going to dive into the action as soon as humanly possible. I'm not going to let any of you, you audience, you're not going to have time to think. I'm barely going to give you names. I'm not going to give you you'll you know there there's there's no no slowdown we're gonna go zero to 100 immediately and and it feels and it, it's it, to me it feels less about um servicing a story as much as as it is a um kind of a desperate attempt to like don't let don't let the audience be bored never risk the audience getting bored at all and 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 i find that it doesn't it often doesn't work in service of something, for example, here with with She-Hulk, I I didn't need her to become She-Hulk in like the first five, 10 minutes of the, of the show. Uh, Like I, I was like, I didn't, I didn't need that. I would have been happy actually learning a little bit who she is as a human being. And like, and her, you know, like she really, Oh, well, you know, she cares about the law because she talks about how much she wants to go back to her career and, and, you know, and, and she's got this friend and I'm just, but I'm like, that's, I'm, okay, thanks for telling me that and telling me and, and telling me, yeah. but I never actually get to see it. So I'm not, I'm not as invested in her law career as she is. Um, and I just, and I think your suggestion as far as like, oh, two episodes are really helped. Absolutely. I think if, yeah. they, if they had been maybe willing to kind of stretch this out a little bit, like, oh, maybe she, 
you know, they get into that accident, that car accident, maybe 30, 40 minutes in or something like that. And we've been able to like understand who she is a little more and how this affects her. And, and I get that the season will probably go over that, but it's just kind of, that's just kind of a, a personal critique of mine. Um, I'm sure they will do all that, but yeah, I, I did find it, but I found it disorienting as far as like, yeah. And I think, well, and what's interesting is I think your point is really valid and I think it can be particularly a challenge, like the, the shows that want to dive right in and not let the audience get bored. And I think that comes to the fore much more when you're, when you're, when it is a show that is based on existing material and especially these comic book shows where they kind of know, like our audience already knows the material. They know who this woman is. So how much time do we spend? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, you, you have to, you have to introduce this character to people who haven't read the comics, but even if you haven't read the comics, there's still a general understanding. Like you, you've heard of, like, you never have to, you don't have to know who Jessica Walters is to have heard of She-Hulk. And I think that happens a lot of times with these comic book shows. Maybe, maybe not Moon Knight, <laughs> but you know, I think that there, you know, there's, and it can be, cha- I can imagine that there's a challenge for showrunners thinking about like how much time, how do you, how do you strike that balance of introducing to people who are completely unaware, but understanding that you have people who know the material, who are already largely familiar, who have expectations for this story, um, but don't necessarily need to have it, uh, who, who could maybe have it play, you know, want to see something new and maybe let's get, maybe let's dispense with the origin. And I think that like one thing about this episode, I did actually appreciate that they dispensed with the origin quickly. I do find it. I, I think I can see how it was disorienting, but I also felt like it was at, at the very least, I'm not saying it was the most elegantly, executed origin story <laughs> but compared to a lot of marvel things i was like man we get it she turned she's gonna be the she's gonna be a hulk like i'm glad it wasn't this long drawn out it's like yeah his blood got on her bloodstream she turned into a hulk like i didn't need i don't need it to be more complicated i didn't need to spend more time on it like let's just get to the part where she's the hulk um it was at the expense of us knowing anything about her as a character and you're absolutely right. It was just like, oh, she's a lawyer. We saw that she was a lawyer. She goes and gets stuck in Mexico with him. And she talks about how she is a lawyer. <laughs> like, that's really all we get from her. I do think we got a little bit of her personality from their interactions. You kind of, like, get... Uh, I, you know, I, 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 and again, it's, it's hard for me to separate how much it is. Just I think that Maslani did a lot with that part. Um, and making yeah. it very approachable, but you're right. Like there's not a whole, there wasn't that much that was really developed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of on the fence. I wish they had spent more time developing her. I am so glad they didn't spend more time developing how she turned into the Hulk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I was just like, thank you. Alien spaceship, car crash, blood in the bloodstream. Let's get on with this. Like, you know, because, and it is that thing of like, and I, and I think you're right. It is a bit of fan service. How do we keep, get from, keep people from getting bored? Let's cut as quickly as possible to the boulder throwing between two hulks. Like, like that's the, especially when you know, Mark Ruffalo is not going to be around the whole time. So, you know, I kind of maximize the ruffalo. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. Like we got to dispense with this. Um, but, you know, again, it is it's tough because we still don't know. 
now the show has to be what it really is. And going into the second week, I don't know what it really is. So, um, I don't know. It goes uh, back to what Vince Gilligan always says, to trust your audience. Don't talk down to them. Don't spoof and feed them. But they. And did. yet they do. They did a bit of it. Well, and it was hard, too, because it's like that thing of all the, the stuff about, you know, where people were like, oh, it's such a woke show. And I'm again, I'm also on the fence. I'm like, I think the show was very blunt. Um, I think there are a lot of people who, it, you know, and everyone's like, it's so profound how they're just saying these things that no one ever says. I'm like, I don't think it was profound. On the other hand, I think that there there genuinely probably were people who had never heard that the first time. So that's where I kind of came down right. on. Like, to me, this didn't feel like a show aimed at women. It felt like a show aimed at the bros who are going to hate yeah. that it's about women. And for that, I was kind of like, yeah, no, go make them piss them off. Like, do it. Like, I don't need you to say to spoon feed these things to me. But like, if you want to explain what it's like being a woman in very tiny words to like angry men, more power like, to you. <laughs> none of this was new, but it was kind of new for a superhero show. Like, this is weeks Talking Dead of the the tales of the Walking Dead. They had a Groundhog Day thing, which was like. Not new. It's been done a thousand times, right. but it hasn't been done in a zombie show. Speaking of comedy, Dan, that's just did because you see of talking about uh, because you decided <laughs> tales to of the Walking Dead. Yeah. Did you see Sprung, Dan? Uh, Nobody else not, watched Sprung. No. It was really good. It was. They showed the first two episodes on Freebie. The, what is Freebie? Like, the IMDb. Uh, it used network, to be IMDb yeah. TV. Yeah. Oh. So it's not a Spectrum thing. From Greg Garcia that reteams uh, Garrett Delahunt and Martha Plimpton, and it is an absolute delight. Oh. Just incredibly fun. I have seen ads for it as I scroll through Freebie to get to the buzzer feed because I've been watching a lot of old game shows. Oh, <laughs> God. It's amazing. 50-year-old it, game shows are amazing. It's so good. 50-year-old game shows. Which yeah. game shows are you watching, Dan? Oh, you know, In there's lieu a little... of the shows that you should be watching for the podcast. There's a little yeah. bit of, uh, <laughs> of uh, uh, Match Game. There's some Hollywood Squares. There's some Classic Concentration with, oh. uh, with uh, what's his name? Um, Trebek, Alex Trebek. Oh. Uh, there's, uh, there's all sorts. There's a little bit of... Do you of, watch uh, the Newlywed game? game? There's yeah. a little bit of Newlywed game. Whoopi. Uh, hey, don't step on my sprung. <laughs> I'm just saying I've seen shows. the ads, but no, I haven't no, watched no, it no, because no. I've been... It's uh, really good, yeah. All right. It's so filthy. <laughs> what is sprung about? Because I don't know, other than oh, what you've told me just uh, now. Uh, three people uh, are in prison. Uh, and COVID comes, and they get released. Ouch. And what, Garrett Dillahunt's character was put in prison 24 years before for marijuana because of mandatory minimums. And he like he's a good guy who's not actually a criminal, who was nevertheless in prison for 24 years. And in that 24 years, he had lots and lots of cellmates who told them all about crimes and how to pull them off. So he gets out, and... He moves into one of his cellmates or uh, mom's house, who's Martha Plimpton, uh, and 
they decide that they want to pull off these little crimes in order to make some money or whatever. And he's like, I'm not a criminal. I don't want to do this. But he also doesn't want to go back out into the world because COVID and he doesn't understand it. And because it's like the early days and he's like, I'm going to get sick or I'm going to die if I leave the South. So he decides to um, help them pull off these little heists. And then he uses his share of the money to do good things in the world. Wait, so it's you... very Greg Garcia, very, my name is Earl mm-hmm. raising Arizona. It's did the you, whole tone. Did you just say that Martha Plimpton is his mom? No, his cellmate's mom. His cellmate's mom. Okay. So I was going to be like, that's, Wrong. Yes. <laughs> Although in this show, she does present as uh, older than Delahunt's character. I'm okay with that. Are they still like totally gonna? No, no. it's not that kind of because she's still sort of like a mother figure. Whatever. <laughs> to all of these people, and Dillahunt is like sort no of one's like ever arrest- banged a mom figure. Well, I know, but Dillahunt's sort of arrested development because he went in prison when he was like nineteen or something, and still sort of has that <clears throat> naivete. Yeah. It's really funny, and you really should like. I don't. It's free. Hey, why not? And it's hard to find a good comedy. You know, speaking of people who are imprisoned. Mm. Uh, we missed talking <laughs> well about a single show that we really needed to talk about for weeks and we're supposed <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. <laughs> Look, you ignored the, you ignored the, the duck last We've week, already ignored so. it. Yeah. No, we're, right, on, we're on free time, baby. Um, <laughs> Kalina, can we talk about Sandman? Yes, we can. <laughs> okay. Um, so you're the expert, uh, but this is exciting because like, we we kind of bailed on talking about much when the main show came out, but then this weekend there was the bonus episode, which people weren't really expecting. So mm-hmm. I kind of want to get all your impressions on all of it, but also like you know what what were your thoughts when this new episode? Um, <laughs> honestly, my first thought was, "Oh, you savvy motherfuckers," <laughs> because. Like how, what a clever way to keep your show kind of being discussed is, you know, because obviously you have that Netflix model, like it all comes out at the same right. time. Which a model that they had already broken with Stranger Things, like a couple months, you know, so it's, yes. is this a new paradigm they're trying out? Yeah. So I know. And Ozark. They're like, nobody watches Ozark. <laughs> Damn. Uh, you know, but yeah, so I thought tacking that on was really, really fun, especially because as far as their A, that extra episode, mm-hmm. we're going to go kind of backwards here, that um, kind of bonus episode, as it were, is to, um, I think, rather beloved stories um, yeah. in the comics that are kind of their single standing stories um, which, within that, which you can kind of... They open on for the Sammy universe, but um, but you know, Dream of a Thousand Cats is probably which, the most popular story of the whole Sandman run in a lot of ways. Like that is, if anyone were to boil it down to a single story, I, I would I would be inclined to agree with that. Yeah, and I thought that was really a, a, obviously the decision to go animated on that very smart um, because I I was when I heard that that was said no one ever. Released. Oh my god. <laughs> And just wait, Dustin. I'm going to get you in a sec. Hold on. Dustin off my screen. Um, 
you know, and it was beautifully rendered and it was, yeah, it was gorgeously done, um, you know, and obviously in act, well acted, um, Sandra Oh coming in there and um, tearing shit up like usual. Um, yeah. And, that and McAvoy. <laughs> and McAvoy. <laughs> For those who are fans, especially a little treats. Yes. You can have a little McAvoy, those you can have who, a little. who are fond of the audiobook. Yeah, the audible version, man, everyone, yeah. and everyone between, because Darville was in the Calliope part of the episode, and he was uh, William Shakespeare in the audible versions. You get mm-hmm. uh, Tennant and Sheen in uh, Dream of a Thousand Cats or whatever, that in that one, um, uh, and they're, they're obviously in the audible version, although, and here's my, so this is my big thing, and this is what, like, was killing me when I was watching the episode, because, uh, so... David Tennant and Michael Sheen and their wives, Georgia Tennant and uh, Anna Lundberg, I think, um, who are all in staged together. Mm -hmm. So these two couples play the two animated like owners of cats in like the only two times you see a cat in a home with with owners in this episode. It's. It's David Tennant as the loving one, and then Michael Sheen is the like one who's throwing the kittens in a bag in the river, and it becomes this whole thing because in my head, because they're with the wives, it kind of turned into this weird stage spinoff, where I'm oh like, god. oh god, what if you're like, what if they're just doing staged, and we just never see the cat, but there's a cat off screen that's dreaming of eating them, and it's like this whole shared universe in my head now. Um, and that is a me problem, but I love it. <laughs> yes. And, um, yeah, I, I love that so very much. Um, and I actually, I, I actually, my, the Calliope story, um, I, I loved that. I remember the, my first time reading that and I was just kind of, I was, I was both kind of inspired and also like, but filled with revulsion at the same time, obviously with this treatment, um, which yeah. I'm actually, the when I realized that was the story they were doing, when I saw um, Darvok on the screen, I realized yeah. like, oh no. Yeah. He's mad. And I real because, um, uh, you know, and, and uh, Constantine's allusion to assault in the, in the comics, he that character, uh, uh, you know, they make no bones about that ca- that character assaults um, Calliope. Yeah, um, amused to, to get yeah, you, yeah, you get your story cool. inspiration through rape. Right, right, and um, so actually, I loved the way they handled it in the live action adaptation. Was yeah. simply. You see him just frustrated. He gets up, it goes to black, and then you see him typing away, and he's just got one scratch on his cheek. Yeah. And you didn't need to know anything else. You were able to fill in the blanks. Yeah, it's a very a very sharp adaptation in, in the sense of understanding, unlike, oh, I don't know, Hot D, um, <laughs> where, where you, you, you can – the audience can – understand the violence that has occurred without having to see it. And it was really like, I really did appreciate cause it is a, you can't avoid that. Like you don't want to, uh, and that's part of what the Sandman series as a whole has always done is like, there are moments of beauty and there are moments of just like really horrible debased shit. 
mm-hmm. and it all comes together into this you know, a, a, a whole story and you can't have one without the other. And this was a, like for a show adaptation, making sure to avoid the violence without writing it out. Like we all know what happened. It's still just as powerful. We don't have to see it. Right. And like, thank you. Why can't more shows figure that out? Yeah. It was very well done. <laughs> But um, which is funny because so and and I think this is kind of going to go against what I've been hearing from kind of colleagues and stuff like that is that I I found the latter half of Sandman to be stronger than the first half. Oh, okay. Walk me through this. um, Yeah, I was kind of disagree. I'm just kind of like. Yeah, based no, on my reading the reviews, you were wrong, Cleveland. Yeah, no, I I know, I know a lot of I've heard multiple people be like, you know, they, oh, yeah. they felt the and it was locked, and I was like, I was more engaged. What, what was happening? You know, the opening. Um, you know, it's obviously the the first episode. You know, I think is I think it grounds the origin. Kind of, it's your origin story, but it's and you know, and God knows that you need that hour because this is a really expansive unearthly sort of story to kind of establish like, Oh, there's these creatures. They're, they're the endless and they're the, the embodiment of these yeah. uh, very particular human experiences and, you know, and, and dream is captured by accidents. Um, and, and then you go onward with, you know, with Roderick Burgess and the, um, and, Ethel Crip and da, da, and for me it, it goes episode, like episode two is I'm like Joanna Constantine I found I did find her um interesting yeah um I I liked um uh the actor, actor's name uh, uh, um Jenna Coleman thank you yeah um very and very it, and having um, it be this just a complete substitution for John Constantine Constantine like yeah, just yes. avoid that character and have it meet Joanna the whole time. And, you know, yes. Um, and I did like the, you know, and, and I'm not one who like, I think it's, it's fun to gender bend, but I think the ways that they gender, they did that gender bending here was some of my favorites. So Jenna Coleman as, as Joanna and honestly, one of my favorite characters ended up being um, Lucien who was in the yeah. comics, Lucian, who was yeah. male. And here is, um, oh, someone in her name as well, but just, um, and, uh, exquisite actor. Love, uh, love her, love that performance. Um, the low point in the entire series. And it took me, it took me hours to watch because I'm like, I am so tired. It's 24 seven. <gasps> that was my favorite episode. I really disliked it. And I can't believe I would say but that did about you, anything but, that David Thuellis is in. Yeah, I was going to say, did you dis, but did you, so did you dislike it because of David Thuellis or was it the, were you not a fan of that story in the comics either? Because it is the more overtly horror 
story and they toned it down for the show. It's very much worse. So. <laughs> like I'm uh, listening to that part in the audible. Oh my <laughs> God. It's like, I'm not, I can't even see images. It's just the sounds of these people maiming and raping. Like horrible. Oh, it is yeah. a horrible chapter in this. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, that, that story in the series is, is just, just outright horrific. Um, and especially for, for me, it definitely hit all of my, these are the things that scare me the most. And chief yeah. among them being losing, essentially losing my faculties and just like falling into the depths of madness. Horrifying. Um, so I did not, and, and I'm not, I, I really believe, I'm not speaking as far as someone who, who, you know, not a prescriptionist and that, you know, like oh, fealty only to the source material. This needs to be recreated yeah. line for line and image. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Right. Cause there's no point in having a goddamn adaptation if you're right. going to do that. Um, but I, I didn't like a lot of the choices that were made, um, especially in the, um, the, you know, John D I, 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 I could not, his his motivation in the um, in the live action adaptation being that like, oh, I'm tired of people being dishonest with themselves. Yeah, and I just kind of want everyone to live in truth. I was like, this does not curl over for me as far as what you're trying to. It, it just it didn't. There was nothing that solidified that for me in in the reality that they were maintaining. So. And because I felt like there was a lot of condensation, they were condensing a lot of things to fit it in. And I do, I do agree. Some of the streamlining of like, like his, that story arc, like the, the first half of the show is Morpheus trying to get his, like he gets freed of his prison and then he has to go find his three tools, which are like the, the bag of sand, the mask and the gem. Mm-hmm. And each one is a unique challenge. And so it's Joanna Constantine to get the sand, which she had left with a lover. And that's a one weird story. And then there's the helmet. He has to go into hell, uh, do battle in this case with Lucifer to get the helmet. Great. And then it's John D had the gem. And it's a, it is a, to me, it's a really interesting story, but, there was a certain amount of, yeah, like kind of rewriting and condensing to make it fit into this season that, and I do, the reasoning, the logic behind like what he did to the gem and why they have to go, it doesn't, it didn't gel for me. I will agree with you there. The episode itself, and I think it's also hard because it is the one episode in the season where Morpheus is largely not present. Like it is kind of, the one episode that it it is a true bottle episode. It takes place in this diner and you kind of understand that Morpheus is like in a storage unit somewhere, but like for the most part, the story is happening here. And like it worked for me because David Thewlis was so good, but it is one of those things where like when you have an actor who is that good operating on that level, it makes up for a lot of shortcomings in maybe the the writing and the logic. And that was to me, I was like, I totally agree. Like some of the like, why is he doing this? Why does the gem work that way? Like that didn't quite work, but I was, I was able to accept it because I was like, damn, like 
Thulis acted his ass off and was oh, horrible. Like the whole the whole parts where he's in the car with Sarah Niles. Oh wow! Okay, Dad, I'm like that was the whole time. You genuinely are like he's gonna kill her. The suspense the of suspense. that car ride was yeah. that wasn't that was the highlight of that episode for me for sure. Yeah, like. Um, yeah, but then I also love, like, and this is what I think, and what I do appreciate about the the show is even if it took departures from the comics, the one thing they were really good about trying to capture was the way that there are these uh, hints or things that are set up in earlier issues that then come into play later. And so there's a payoff, but it's almost, it's this wheel that's constantly cycling. And so each individual story will be its own genre and it might be a fantasy and it might be horror and it might be something completely different, but it's, you only see the structure as more and more of them get added on because you're hearing like a name here that comes into play here. And it's the same way. It's like in 24, you hear a woman at that diner says the name Rose. It's clear that it's her friend or something like that. And then later on, Oh, Hey, here's Rose Walker. You're getting that payoff. And like, likewise, we've met Barbie in the Rose Walker part, which is the back end of that season. And I know like, okay, well the whole adventure with Barbie is going to be in second in season two, like in the way the show is following the way the comics kind of set all that up. Mm Hmm. Yeah, I think it does a good job in um in in maintaining a lot of threads at the same time. I some of which I think get a little muddled. Um, yes, like it's not but, as clear cut because they are. There's you can tell the pressure of time. It's like we had to do all this in ten episodes, and like they took some shortcuts. Yes, yes, um, but I I and I was. And like I said, in those first couple, like I said, the, the, the diner part, I was like, I'm, I'm finding this kind of a slog and then, you know, and then getting through and I found, interestingly enough, I actually, I was, I was also, I was concerned because I very quickly got the impression that I was like, oh, it seems like the big through line for all of this, the season at least is going to be based around the Corinthian. Yeah. Which does is is not that large of a presence in in the source material, um, but I was I was kind of I was I was happily surprised that it 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 actually felt like it paid off, and I think a lot of that has to do with the, the kind of the undeniably tripping charisma of Boyd Holbrook, and I am not just seeing that because um, he is a fine looking fellow. Um, he he. He does a lot of work underneath those uh, giant sunglasses. Oh, yeah. I never got the Boyd Holbrook thing until this show. And then I was like, okay, apparently, apparently this is another that I can add this otherwise bland blonde man to my list. Yeah. Just put him down my list of spooky faves. I actually, I'm not, I'm not acquainted with his work before this. So I, I don't know. He was know. in Logan. That was the only thing I could remember he was in. He was in Logan. Oh right. I think I he, saw it. I just I don't. 
Yeah. Was he like, a, was he like thug number three or something like that? No, he was one of the bad guys. He had also glasses and maybe metal arm. I could just be ascribing metal arms oh. to people, though. Sometimes I do that. Um, He's making up shit. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I do, yeah. I think for me, one of so this is this is where I've found myself disagreeing with a lot of people. I'm still not sure about Tom Sturridge. I go mm-hmm. back and forth. I think I, he annoyed me in the beginning. I do think he got better. Um, when he's in, like, in the animated stuff where it's just his voice, I think he nails it. Uh, once he stopped trying to do the very gravelly voice, like the first episode, he was it was like too much. And then I read something where Neil Gaiman, like that was a one note. It was like he had to tell him, like, you need to stop that. <laughs> and so like the rest of the season, he actually like is a lot. But sometimes his face, it's like when he's on screen, sometimes his face is a little. And like and it's weird because it's one of those things where like you're talking about, like you don't have to be completely faithful to the source material and there's something about this guy who i think a lot of his performance is is wonderful but also something about his look is so creepily comics accurate that i'm like no no one's supposed to look like that like that artwork is bizarre and like, yes it is like yeah. maybe we shouldn't find a guy whose face does that because it's not supposed to happen mm-hmm. Yes, he, yeah, he, he, he ended up growing on me. He did. Because like, those that, first, the first, especially those first two episodes, there's a lot of pouting. Oh. I know there's, the, I know the joke, the internet is rife with the, with the Zoolander comparisons. And, and it wasn't even that, like, that. like I, it, it does happen, but like, it wasn't that it was a Zoolander thing. It, yeah. It, ah. I'm, yeah, I'm torn because sometimes I'm like he works and he's wonderful and other times and it was also the the bias of like if you've listened to the audible versions and I'm not saying there was no way they were ever going to get James McAvoy. But when you've you've heard James McAvoy, <laughs> James McAvoy is is top tier. Um, there's there's yeah. absolutely. But I but I, I did. I, I, I think I think that. Sturridge grows on me, I think, in part because of how Andy and this maybe what fully sold the show for me was they're leaning into dreams sort of personal journey and the realization that like his um, sort of participation in humanity and like how like this does have an effect on me. Oh, I'm actually kind of fallible. Um, despite me being, um, endless and, um, and, and I, and something in Sturge seems to, seems to grip on that. There's like kind of a more, I think, cause it feels like he leans into that warmth a little bit more. Whereas kind of like very, like at the beginning where he's like, I am a cold creature of the night kind of. Yeah. And it really, it really is the sound of her wings. Like when it's, you have the episode with him in death and that's where you start seeing that turn of like, he, he becomes a little bit more warm, a little bit more real because she forces him and it carries through the back half of that season. And you're right. Like when he is able to play into that aspect of the character, it's much stronger. Thank you for bringing up that episode. I would have felt so We've talked, we literally talked the whole way around that episode, every other part of this season, other than the death episode. (laughs) I, 
Yes. I That episode, and you're right. You nailed it. That's exactly, I think that's where the show, I think the first half of the series, I was very much like, I am on the fence. I'm not sure what I'm going to write about because I kind of like some of this, but I'm kind of irritated by some of this. And then when Kirby Howell Baptiste shows up, She's as, as a spectacular death. Yes. I mean, just just glorious and 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 gracious, but still just a hint of fun, but above all else, immensely compassionate. Oh, what a beautiful episode. That that episode, that was I I I shed a tear in that episode when especially when Towards the end of their time together, she's got kind of a, a little monologue about how much the effect of humans and, and vice versa, this, this kind of symbiotic relationship they have. And, um, you know, which takes place after that, that heartbreaking but perfectly pitched um, baby scene. Yeah. And um, which dark and yet. Again, I find you know what happens. You don't work. see it. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, they, right. You don't need to. You don't need to. You don't need to. You know, it's 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 right there. Text it for you to read, and um, and you know, and again, it comes down to that kind of very game and ask like this is very dark, but also is extremely beautiful at the same time. And that was the episode where I officially like turned the tide of, no, no, no. I think, I think I do like this. I think there's there's you know there there's still I think there's still some idiosyncrasies in there that that kind of make me scratch my head just a tiny mm-hmm. bit but but by the time yeah. it, i finally i i finished it off i was like i would like to see the story continue yeah yeah i agree i mean i think where i stand on the series like i don't think it was a flawless season of television but i think it was a very admirable as admirable as you could ever get an adaptation of the material um, and the kind of thing where it's like, I would like them to go forward because it will continue to be like very challenging material. And it's nice seeing somebody just try. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think it, what is impressive about it is that if you are trying to adapt the material, it means by necessity, your show, your season, your arc will never be one thing. And we don't see a lot of shows that like, I think we're used to on streaming. Okay. You have a, you have 10 episodes or you have six, whatever your season is, and you're going to have an arc or you're a network show and you've got 22 episodes or whatever. And you're, you know, and, and you can have purely episodic things with maybe a build. Um, and so like the Sandman kind of has to, it, it forces this weird thing where there are, it is sort of episodic or mini arcs, um, but you're never going to have like the closest they could come to an arc for the season was purely just what you kind of mentioned with, with Morpheus. It's like, it's the idea of him growing. <laughs> that's, that's not plot. <laughs> that's not, that's just, that is a tiny character turn that happens because of the story, but that is the closest to a cohesive arc that that season could have because everything else was these very individual, individual stories that might happen over the course. It was a wheel turning over the course of many episodes. 
mm-hmm. um, with different genres. And it, to me, that is really exciting, something that does not fit into a normal television mold. Um, and how they could continue that as the story will continue getting weirder. And, yes. you know, so, yeah, I really hope they get picked up. It doesn't mean that I think that this was, you know, you know, I have my quibbles, but I'm like, I'm happy it exists. I'm happy. I'm impressed that they did as good as they did with it. And I hope they get the chance to keep going. Fully agreed. Yes. I am so sorry, Dan and Dustin. We just, we, I need that. Razzle dazzle and Geary's (laughs) raspberry sour. Oh my God. We didn't do our thing. We didn't. So, Hold on, I'm doing okay. So I'm st- I still have some more of my soju, and I decided to go back after last week. I was totally too drunk last week, but this week I decided to make a proper cocktail out of it, and I mushed up watermelon, and I squirted some lime in, and then I added the soju, and then I added some uh, watermelon lemonade seltzer. Awesome. And I made a whole little cocktail and it was, well, it was a cocktail in the beginning and now it's a few sad pieces of watermelon that I keep pouring soju on top of. Um, yeah, it's, it was good. It sounds delicious. Yeah. Selena, what, what have you had to drink? <laughs> had uh, I, uh, I was drinking a Moscow mule. Mm. What is a Moscow mule? I've heard about it, but it's in it. I've heard of them. Oh. What is in it? Oh, it's um, generally it's vodka and ginger beer. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that sounds nice. Yeah, and traditionally it's served in a like a copper, rusty copper mug. It's how you usually see them be uh, drank at various locales. Um, I'm not prepared enough to do all that, so I just drink it out of a glass. <laughs> <laughs> what are you having, Dan? Oh, I had uh, I didn't have anything special, so I had to reach into the magic whiskey cabinet, and I got some uh, Glenlivet Twelve Year, which has been sitting there for a while. It's almost gone now, so it feels like that cabinet has not been refilled in quite some time. So maybe the magic is gone, and I actually have to go buy stuff. But no. I'm impressed because it, it used to be a magic liquor cabinet, and now it is purely a whiskey cabinet. Like, is that no, the only has, thing that uh, manifests? No, it has other liquor, but, uh, you know, all sorts of things can come out of, out of holes, TV and otherwise. Uh, which I think the like cabinet to, got COVID. Uh, no, Dustin, when does Manifest come back? That? Manifest, I don't, I think fall is what I'm hearing. Okay. You've got that. And I line. bet there's like 20 episodes, so I bet they break it up like they did Stranger Things. I think yeah, really we actually it did here today. Yeah, don't you have right. an in with the with the show with the creator of Manifest? <laughs> you would think. You would think. I'll, I'll email him. See. Yeah, you should email him. Like when's your sh- when is you know, and 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 you can tell him you're welcome for saving this. <laughs> <laughs> what else is uh, happening? <laughs> we have more shows coming. That Lord uh, of the Rings probably. thing is coming. Lord in of the a Rings, weeks, yeah, the so. Lord of the Rings is coming. Lord of the Rings, no, it's the the Rings of Power. Is that what it's called, Rings of Power? Yeah, I feel like House of Dragon and Lord of the Rings are gonna be like the shows for the next uh, two months. At some point, Wheel of Time is gonna come back, and like no one's gonna care. No, it's like, oh yeah. no, 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 we've what? got our we've got our blue chip fantasy shows back. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Wheel of Time. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, did that, Carnival Row mm. season two ever come out? 
No, it did not, Dan. No, no. Dude, okay. we looked this up at some point. They've yes. shot it. Tori right. gave us this piece that was fin- right. fascinating yeah, for all the of t- these shows that are coming back that well, we didn't know about. Well, shows that had like... Um, that we'd forgotten like, about Yeah, completely. it's like been over two years or something, and it was like, uh, I think Carnival Row had like, I, th- I, th- I think it's already shot. Like the whole yeah, it was season. in the can. It's in the can, but they've made no, there's no, no mention of any time it could possibly come out. Like, which seems weird given that it's a show that if they actually have shot it. And well, it's it was the expensive. same with Avenue five. Didn't they say that was in the can too? And then they're just. They haven't right. done anything. Oh, been, was yeah. it that one? Well, yeah. they, they just, Paramount Plus just released Blood and Treasure season two. Which was supposed to be out in 2020. Uh, I don't even know what season uh, one. Well, it was yeah, a CBS what, what summer show. What is Blood show. and Treasure? Are they trying to capitalize on uh, our flag means death? No, no this was before our in, flag. Yeah, years, years, no, years that, and years ago. Yeah. I think I just they just the next season. I think they just got held up oh, by the are pandemic, they gonna, and then are they going to peg it to? Kept it. Yeah. Our pirates are gayer. I don't think there are pirates yes. on uh, have a, have a, I don't know anything about Blood and Treasure. It sounds like a pirate show to me. It's like National Treasure, but for CBS. <gasps> oh, is it is yes. it on a ship? No, but I think it's like a I think it's like an adventure, oh. like uh oh. they're looking for treasure and secrets and stuff. Oh, Toy's got some national no. treasure news. No, to share. well yeah, A apparently <laughs> they have a script for the third one and they're waiting to get Nick Cage's okay, which not a like, movie podcast. What is he gonna do? No, no, no. My okay, sh- but it is a giving <laughs> Dustin shit podcast, Dan. Oh, and God. my point, Dan, <laughs> was that Dustin hasn't seen any of the national treasure movies. Oh. Dustin. What's wrong with you? Exactly. That is okay. No, no, no. Clean it. Clean it. Just shh. It's okay. It's okay. You're fine. You're fine. I oh, I can't believe well, Dustin. Bullying Dustin. <laughs> he has Sorry. kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're perfect. Well, in any for event, probably children. Yeah. That's the show. We've gone. We've gone quite a bit. Way over quacking, but you know that that happens sometimes. We're still learning how to redo this after. Are we being off a little bit? No, no, no. It's, no, this is totally just... intentional. Right. Yes. Uh, Kalina, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you it. You got to talk so about happy. all the television. Yes, I know. <laughs> I'm not interested in the Sandman, but your your enthusiasm for it has has pushed the audiobook into my next one. Ooh, you'll I, I I'll Honestly, be very interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah, it's long. It'll give you a lot of walking <laughs> <Yeah>. material. <laughs> the show is shorter. <laughs> it is. Well, yeah. The show is so much shorter, but the audio, the audible version is wonderful. I'll do it. So I'm finished with this Tana French book. Oh, which one? Uh, Broken Harbor. Oh, I've read that one. I've got the Trespasser. Here. I love her. She's so good. Yeah. I still, my favorite book of hers, not a book podcast. Um, the second, did you read the second one, The Likeness? Yeah, I'm going, yeah, I, I jumped to the end and then, but I've also, like, this is the fourth, so I've read the first three. Yeah. Okay. So I love The Likeness because it, Falls into the like normally second books aren't as good, 
like they always get a little weird and like not they're just not usually as good like a first Mm -hmm. book is really strong and then by the third book they really know what they're doing but a second book is sort of sometimes weird but i love the the particular way in which the plot of the likeness is weird because it all it's like a crime story it's like a mystery but it all hinges on the fact that no for no good reason at all this detective just happens to look identical to this missing woman Oh yes. Oh yes. And it's just, and it's just like, that is just a coincidence that it cannot, there is not, they're not twins. It's nothing. It is the entire plot of the book would not be possible (laughs) if there weren't just, they just weren't actually doppelgangers and it should be really annoying, but I'm like, no, lean into that weirdness. I love that. That's some David Lynch shit. (laughs) Anyway, next week's book book podcast. (laughs) We didn't even talk about water this week. Everyone's going to be so disappointed. I know. I know. I, I'm so sorry. Okay, well, here's a bit of water. I noticed I have two open seltz. No, three open seltzers. One of them I was drinking. Two of them were mixers. I don't know how this happened. Mm. Mm. All right. More, more water talk and TV next week. Uh, Kalina, thank you again. Uh, have a good night. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. The uh, we I just only get the pink apple and lemon now. We just that's you've just given up on all other. Yeah, this is it. This is it. We found the seltzer that we love.